I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Welcome to a new spin on autism. Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise. Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted, and four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum. Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism. Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. Um, Make sure that you stay to the very end of the show, and it's going to be a wonderful show full of giveaways, because at the very end, we have stories from the road. And before that and all through the show, we have giveaways, giveaways, giveaways. I want to tell you what I think today's question should be. I don't always come up with one at the beginning, but I have one today. I think that the question should be, when something's broken, how do you fix it? That's our question. How do you fix it? And I have some ideas on that. But to do, you know, a little bit of research and find out some other people's ideas, I thought I'd go to the world of make-it-happen women, you know, the kind of women that are out there speaking and writing books about how to transform yourself. Okay, okay, okay. I have been shafting y'all on the great guest giveaway. So today, 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 we are going to do something really cool. We're going to have two great guests giving stuff away. So it's going to be giveaway, 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 giveaway. Um, But to get to that part, you got to listen to what they have to say. Now, moms, dads, teachers, all of you out there, especially the moms, you're stuck at home working with your autistic child or your whole family, and you know you come to hear the podcast to get all these new spins on a new spin on autism. Well, here's a new spin. I'm thinking what we want to do is we want to talk about two concepts. Number one, placebos and nocebos. I'm going to explain that to you later. Um, number two... Attitude is everything, and most of you are at home trying to figure out how to make some money. So I think this is going to be a really good fit. Um, It's not somebody who necessarily goes on autism shows, so maybe it'll be the only time you heard her, and all the much better for her and for you. Veronica Drake's uh, internationally acclaimed. She's an intuitive business strategy consultant. We'll ask her what she means by that. And here's what I really like. She works with heart-inspired women entrepreneurs. Okay, heart-inspired. All right, we've got to ask about that, who are fast-paced and creative, want to let go of all the distractions holding them back. Okay, Veronica, welcome. Hey, hi. Thank you for having me. I am really excited. Oh, good. Um, and I'm excited. <laughs> so let's just hit on those two things so they know kind of who you are. What does it mean that you're um, – well, first of all, let's do the heart-inspired women. I like that. Uh, uh, Why did you choose heart-inspired? I like that. Heart-inspired because uh, when we're in business, we are – at one with our client, and I am heart-inspired. And what that means to me is everything I do is centered around the heart and feeling things and being connected to what life feels like and the values of love and compassion and giving and kindness. And when we do business from that place, that, that warm place inside of us, the heart-centered place, it just makes life and business happen with ease. And so I just chose the words heart-inspired. 
Do you know what that makes me think of is there's a, a book that whenever I'm feeling frustrated, I listen to. And um, it's a really old book written in, I think, the 1800s. And you may have heard of it. Um, it's The Science of Getting Rich or Being Rich. Oh, like that. Wallace Waddle. Yeah. Yeah, and of what course. I real, yes, and what I really love in there, the, the reason I occasionally return to it is if I get lost in the competitive mindset mm. instead of the creative mindset. Um, and when you say heart-inspired, it makes me think of that whole, you can, you can have this beautiful life full of meeting your goals and reaching and attaining um, and making some money, and you can do all of that without hurting other people or without shafting, you know, stealing from Paul, Peter to pay to Paul and that sort of thing. Um, it's a loving so, place to come from. It's a loving place to come from, and that's what makes me happy. And is that what makes you intuitive? Well, what makes me intuitive is because I choose to tap into it. We all have an intuitive ability, and I'll make it really make sense for you. Have you ever left your house and felt like you forgot something, but you didn't really know what it was? Sure. So you had a feeling, okay, like, oh, you know, there's something in the pit of your stomach, or you, you, just, you run into somebody in the grocery store and you just can't think of who they are, but you're, you're saying, go the other way. Or, you know, you just kind of want to avoid them. And you're not sure why, and you're, you feel it. And then later on, it connects with your, psycho, your, your thought process, your psychology of thought. And so that's your intuition. And I'm just choosing to tap into mine, which I've been doing forever since the age of eight. Didn't know what it was called until, you know, I got older. But we all have that direct connection to what I call the manufacturer. I, some call it source. Some call it God. You know, um, we're all directly connected through that. And I teach how to develop that, by the way. And that's really interesting that you take that skill and apply it to business strategy consulting. Mm. Who's doing what, that what out led there, right? You there? Yeah, what, what, what led you to take the creative spiritual power and apply it to business strategy? In my own life, there was a lot of adversity and turmoil. I'm the product of an alcoholic father and a schizophrenic mother. So growing up, life was very difficult, and I learned difficult. I learned survival, and I, I, learned, I learned a lot of great things. But I also created patterns in my life that recreated those scenarios of shame and guilt. And so one day in my life, uh, I decided in 1996 I didn't want to live anymore, and I was going to end it. And something happened. I was careening my car, and literally something came over me. And I, you know, it sounds cliche. It's the, it's the truth as I know it. And I felt my foot come off the accelerator. And from that moment, I knew that there was something bigger. And I began to be thirsty for spirituality. I began to question what's out there. And so as I delve into this journey of learning spiritual stuff, I was also in the business world. And so I had wanted for years to merge the two. And when I got the opportunity by being uh, forced, if you will, out of a job that was well-paying, I thought, how can I do this? And it took, me, it took me a couple of years to figure out how to merge the two, but I don't know that there's anybody else doing it. And so when we take the metaphysical side, the, the, the study of ontology, why we're here, our purpose, and we marry it with practicality and best practices in business, that's the whole enchilada, so to speak. You got it all right there. Okay, so you know that, first of all, are you a mom? I am a mom and I'm a grandmom. 
Ah, me too. Welcome. Isn't it great? We don't even have to give birth or anything. We just get to tell people, oh, I have so many grandkids. It's the best. Awesome. I How many do you have? I have two boys, 29. He'll be 30 on December 1st, and I have a 26-year-old. And they live in different states from me, and they're far away, but they're always in my heart. Oh, that's awesome. So, okay, so you're a mom, so you get this. So the mm-hmm. whole, um, so what we have to do is we have to take intuitiveness, a connectedness, a manifesting ability, regardless of our, of our religious affiliation. Mm-hmm. We have to take our kind of connectedness to the source and say, okay, so here I am, I'm the primary caregiver, a mother or a father or whoever, or somebody needing just more money. And they're going, okay, I need a way to make more money and still see my, take care of my child and be available every time the school calls and says, get over here because he's doing this. Um, and so um, how would you, you get this lady, she walks in here door and she says, you know, I need help. I, I'm a mess. I need to satisfy all these impossibly, um, the things that just don't go together. I have to make them go together. How would you, how would you deal with that? The first thing I do with all of my clients, regardless where she's at, whether she's a mom or she's not a mom, because it's all the same, we look at the self. We look at where you're at, who you are as you're showing up in this world. Because first and foremost, you're a product of something bigger, okay? And then you put on the title of I'm a mom. So when I connect you with the, with the soul, of who you are and the true essence of who you are. And we begin to balance out what that nagging voice is in your head that you can't quite <laughs> straighten out, you know, that I'm not good enough or how do I do all this or I'm overwhelmed. When we connect with that voice and we, we learn how to manage it and we learn how to listen to it, then we proceed to, to find out what is your dream because every woman has a dream. I mean, show me a woman that doesn't have a dream. You know, maybe it's repressed or it's been, you know, beaten down. But my tagline is helping women create their own economy. You can be a stay-at-home mom, have a dream, and there is a way to figure out how to make money from that dream. There really is. Okay, so then we really need you to tell us how that's done, and I'm sure that can mm-hmm. be done in like two and a half minutes. So why don't you tell them about your book? Sure. There's great information in my book. It's the, it's the Unconventional Road to Emotional Freedom and Prosperity, and the emotional freedom is the self-work. There's pieces in there about self-development, about connecting to soul. Uh, there's money story stuff in there. We all got junk around money. And then there's the practical how to start out building your business, the one, two, three, how-tos. Um, and you can find my book on my website, veronicadrake.co. I made it really simple. You can get it for like $5.95 on Kindle. I mean, it couldn't be cheaper. Um, And get it and see if it moves you. And if it does, I'd love to hear from you. And you could also offer to give some free. (gasps) Let's do that. That'd be great. (laughs) Let's give five of them. Awesome. Okay, guys, if you want to get it, you have to send an email to me, mom, number four, evermore, at Juno, not Gmail, Juno, J-U-N-O dot com. And in the subject line, put Veronica Drake. That'll help you remember her name in case you're not one of the five. And you need to look it up on Kindle, Veronica Drake. Okay, I like to close the show with an opportunity usually, um, or close the guests pure portion of the show with an opportunity to sort of share your thoughts. But I want to ask for two things. Um, This is a story show. In fact, I close the show with a 
the story that's called Stories from the Road, and it kind of combines everything and puts it together. And uh, and so it's very much a story show. So since your mother was schizophrenic and you had came from Challenge Times, and a lot of the families that will be listening, they're they're multiply diagnosed families. Uh, it's very rare to have just autism in a family. Mm-hmm. Usually have autism and bipolar and depression and schizophrenia and right. you know I mean there's just a million things. And and so some of the parents listening actually may have been diagnosed with schizophrenia. Mm-hmm. Um, may have been or may have a husband who was or a, or a uncle or have had parents that were. So do you have a word of advice on how to, how to make that a comfortable journey or mm-hmm. a story that you think will um, be worth sharing from your child? You know, I'm 51, and I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of processing of all of this because at first you don't understand it. And then you're, you're angry and you're embarrassed and you go through this whole continuum of emotions when you're, when you're the person watching this happen. And the best piece of advice I could give is to remember beneath the diagnosis and the disease is a human being. And above and beyond everything else, human beings need love and acceptance. I think it's gorgeous. Yeah, I think it's gorgeous, especially if the person with the disease or the disability is yourself. Absolutely. I think it's very easy to not forgive ourselves, and maybe that Mm. comes back around to where you started. That's a whole show. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole show. So, what would you uh, give as a word of advice to the mother, the last word of advice for, or the father who is sort of at home and challenged financially Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, trying to find their way? You know, don't forget about you because, you know, the cliche, you know, if mama ain't happy, ain't no one happy, that kind of thing, you know, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you really do need to find a place of happiness and joy. And and I want to say very quickly, because this is important to me, joy doesn't come from your circumstances. The birds don't sing on my windowsill every morning. Sometimes there's poop on the windowsill, but I make a choice and a decision to find joy. And some days it's tough. But you do have that at your disposal, and you have to learn how to do that because that's your sanity. Awesome, and that's a great ending. Thank you so much for being here, Veronica. It's Veronica Drake. And if you want to check her out and you miss an opportunity at the free book, make sure that you type into Google veronicadrake.co, not com, co. All right, thanks for being here, Veronica. Well, 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 that was Veronica Drake with The Unconventional Road to Emotional Freedom and Prosperity. That's the name of her book, and I really like that, so I'm going to say it one more time. The Unconventional Road to Emotional Freedom and Prosperity, and here we are on a new spin on Autism Answers. So where else would you want to be unconventional but here? Um, Wonderful. Make sure you go uh, right in and ask me for that book, and we'll get it off to you. Before I introduce the next guest, I just want to remind you to stay to the very end when we will have... tell a little story and bring all of this stuff together and add an answer to the question that was raised at the beginning. And one more thing. Oh, yeah. Remember I said we're going to do the okay, okay, great guest giveaway all day because we've been kind of shafting you on that while our guest coming up also got awesome things to give away. She's marvelous. And just one more thing before I talk to her, and that is the placebo-nocebo effect that I promised to mention. 
So the reason we're doing this today, this whole thing about manifesting, authenticity, caring about where you come from as a mom and as a teacher and as a professional in the world, the reason we're doing this is because, well, because I think it's a good idea, but also because there's a thing called a placebo that everybody's heard of, and they think it means uh, the placebo effect, therefore it was fake healing. No, Placebo means you brought your body along and got your body to cooperate in the healing process. It lasts often stronger than medicine and lasts up to six months. And the only reason it stops working is because the world starts giving you kind of some negative stuff and teaching you not to believe anymore and you sort of lose your focus. Um, Sometimes it works forever. Usually it's a six-month window. Now, a nocebo you might not have heard of, and that's what's important, and that's what's going to set up my next guest, because a nocebo is when you have negative beliefs about something. And when you have negative beliefs about something, then you create a negative reaction. So if I give you a sugar pill and I say this is going to fix you, and you have negative beliefs about anything you might put in your mouth that looks like a pill, you probably aren't going to get fixed. But if you think it's going to work, you will. In fact, with the nocebo effect, you'll probably have all kinds of side effects just from the sugar pill and your beliefs about what would happen. So there's a very big power in what we believe and what we expect, and expectation is huge. With that in mind, I found this wonderful guest. She's all about authenticity, and she's about giving away. That's one of the best things about her. She calls herself the authenticity doctor, I think. I think that's how she put it. On here, it's also the authentic voice doctor, and authenticity's all over. And I've already talked to her, and she's just awesome, and so I can hardly wait to get to her. So, Norma Hollis, welcome. Well, thank you. I do feel very welcome. Thank you for having me today. Oh, you're more than welcome. We're excited. I already got a little taste of you just in those few minutes well before I pushed record. So let's begin by the fact about the fact that you have free authenticity gifts on your website. Like on your website, you're saying, Here, I'm giving you stuff. That's right, I do. Well, you know, authenticity is so important and it's part of my mission on the planet to share what I've learned about being authentic. So at normahollis.com, I have five free gifts. One is my assessment. So I studied authenticity for 30 years, and I came up with nine different aspects, different energies, I call them, that make us authentic. And people can take an assessment to evaluate how their energies are living, working for them in their, in their life. And also, after taking the assessment, you can even get a complimentary one-on-one coaching session with one of my coaches who will help you understand your scores. Then I also do calls every Tuesday at 5 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And these are to help people understand those nine energies, understand authenticity. And these are actually what we call coaching calls. So you get about a half hour of lecture and a half hour you can ask any question you like on anything. And whoever's doing the call, and I'm doing them for the rest of this year, can ask the question. Then I have some, I've worked with speakers. I had a speakers bureau and I help people find their authentic voice as a speaker. So I do have a product that will help speakers to enhance themselves called Cash and on your authentic voice. And lo and behold, my first uh, career and my degree is in early childhood. And I have a tremendous passion for children's spirituality and raising children, helping children to be authentic while they're still young. So I have some gifts for that. And then I help people. I'm referred to as a transformational artist because I help people 
create a new uh, landscape of their life, a new canvas of their life, and then give them a prescription to make that happen. And I call that the nine energies of authentic joy. So any of your guests can go to normahollis.com and click on free authenticity gifts. And I, I take all of them. Works for me. Find one that works for you best. Each one will tell you a little bit about them and what they're all about. And you are invited to partake of whatever you feel that would be of value to you. Help yourself. That's really awesome. So let's talk about raising authentic children. I really like this idea, actually, of discussing this for a minute, because a lot of time people think of someone with autism or any kind of developmental disability, and they assume, wrongly in my opinion, that they wouldn't be able to apply something like um, the concept of authenticity to somebody who has a developmental disability or a mental challenge. What do you think about that? Oh, authenticity is for everybody. Everybody comes to the planet with a level of a certain unique combination of gifts and talents that are uniquely their own. And even a child with autism, even a child with Down syndrome, every single child, every single individual comes with those gifts. So helping an individual, I think our role as parents is to help the child connect with that part of their authentic self, that part that's truly them, that part that's related to what was given to them at the time of their birth. So, yeah, everybody, every autistic child, every child that can't speak, can't see, everybody has gifts and talents. And I'm sure there are many, um, you know, I, I have an autistic cousin, and as difficult as it was, he's probably, I don't know, maybe 50 now or something, but as difficult as it was for his parents to raise him, there were certain gifts, and there were gifts that we that we received from him when he would come by for a Christmas dinner and sit in front of the fireplace the entire time, pretty much, and just gazing in the fly, in the fire. And even in this way, that brought a certain level of peace to the family and to those of us during the holiday seasons. So, so that's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, but most of the people I know with an autistic child wouldn't say it. It brought a certain level of peace during the holidays, so that was really nice to hear. Well, maybe because he was, they were visiting and they didn't live with me, you know. But, you know, and I also taught for uh, for a short time in my substitute teaching days years ago, and I had a class of, of um, deaf children, so they couldn't hear. Most of them couldn't speak either. Now, that was a very peaceful classroom, so it was a little different, I guess, from the autism classroom. But, uh, but, no, but, but, there, but there's, something, there's something to be examined here, and I, I'd love to kind of dig into it a little bit sure. just for a few minutes. And that's that a lot of the time the way that we teach autistic children because of their challenges socially and in communication is with scripting. Now, I don't personally use scripting, but a lot of people do. And um, my thought about that is that it kind of teaches inauthenticity in that, you know, you're supposed to say, hi, nice to meet you, you know, and, and they give a list of questions and answers and things that are to be said, but that aren't based on where the person is at the time. Um, what do you think about that? Well, I'm not familiar with scripting. You'll have to explain a little bit more. The last well, I remember was- is the signing. And so they the script. So please explain the scripting. Like now. a script would be literally saying, "Okay, you're going to be in a social situation. When you walk up to the lady, you say, hello, nice to meet you.' You look in her eyes, and when she says, "Nice to meet you too," you say, um, "You know, that's a pretty dress." You never say it's a, you know, that kind of thing. Like scripting is giving them actual things that they should say in certain situations. Um, and, you know, I have a lot of issues with it for the very reason of if you're equipped with the, the things you're supposed to say, which is different than just sort of saying, you know, this would be a good start, but go go with what you mean. That's not what we do often. We set the kids up to say something that's pre-decided. That's what I mean by scripting. 
Okay, yeah, we do that in sales uh, training as well. We're told to have certain scripts. And so my, what comes to, what the question that comes to mind is, does the child also then know what to do if the script doesn't work? So if he says, hello, how are you, and he gets some kind of strange, you know, weird or, or unusual, I won't say necessarily weird, but a different, will they know what to do with the script next? No, that's the problem with script. That would be the problem, that, yeah. So, because yeah. if you're not teaching independent thinking, because everyone has to have a level of independence so that they can decide what to do. You know, A plus B equals C, but when it equals D, what do you do instead? So that would be the issue that I would be concerned. So that we call that in sales, how do you handle objections? So how are they teaching the, the children how to handle the objections when the answer is not what you expect it to be? Right. And, and, you know, I think it's something to look at because very often the kids are taught strictly the scripts and then they fall apart when the script doesn't work and it's part of what fuels meltdowns in social situations. Um, it's messier, though, to teach independent thinking at least in the early stages. So, all right, let's, let's use the sales again. How do you t- deal with that in sales? Because when you're teaching independent thinking, do you do independent thinking plus a script to fall back on initially, or how do you deal with that? Well, you know, it depends on who you're talking to. A lot of salespeople will give you a script for everything, so that's possible. And, but when you think about it, we all have scripts. And, and in fact, one of my, my mentors, uh, sales mentors, defines a script as pretty much anything that's said. Because whenever you speak, whether you have written it out or it's coming spontaneously, you have a script you're going to go by. And maybe it's what you're used to saying in the, most of the time or in the past. Um, so that, that is still a script. So, but when you think about it, too, we all get scripts because even children who are not autistic are, learned, are taught what to say. They learn to say, hello, ma'am, how are you? It's just that they do have more independent thought, I guess, from the outset, so they know how to how to 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 to, to uh, adjust manipulate that, that right. deal with it. Yeah. So my I question, actually, mm-hmm, go ahead. Go ahead. My question then with the I don't you know it's been a long time since I've been engaged with um, autistic children. I was I spoke recently just two weeks ago at a at a school with a number of autistic children, but I haven't really interacted with them in a long time, or even read that much about their capabilities and limitations. So I don't know now um, in today's world what the possibility is for the independent thinking or to even help them. And I'm just, I'm very I'm impressed even hear you say that they're learning that communication-wise because in my history, you know, there wasn't much communication going on with autistic children. Well, you know, it's a big spectrum and, and there's everything from nonverbal to every version of it until you're not on the spectrum anymore. So yeah. you can, you know, sort of plant this conversation where it fits. But um, I personally always deal with uh, independent thinking and concept with the kids because even if they're nonverbal, they, they tend to be sort of a an unusual combination of uh, feeling your energy, communicating like uh, you know a blind or deaf person does, sort of through the the nuances in life, and so whether they're able to uh, speak clearly or not, I'm very honoring of that. I want to teach from the beginning that when you do speak, you can speak your mind and you can do it through nonverbal, you can do it through verbal, you can do it, you know, and if you think the lady's got an ugly dress, do you need to mention it? Could mm-hmm. you mention instead her nice hat or, you know, and teach looking for the positive and teach a way of looking at the world. And I teach that 
with no matter how disabled, um, no matter how challenged. And you just teach it more often mm-hmm. when it's somebody that takes longer to learn. That's, it's really sort of the same, only requires more repetition. Mm-hmm. Uh, scripting for me, I think it's great if you have a couple scripts just to get you unlocked in a circun- certain circumstance, but um, I usually end up flow charting it so that they can see, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, but if they go here, then you have to go over there, and then you go over here, and the flow chart gets really complex, and um, and it makes it fun and funny. Just like life, but yeah, absolutely. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But yeah, no, kids that are autistic can definitely communicate. They can communicate in many ways, and I think it's tempting to create scripts probably in sales and in everything else simply because then we feel like we can control the um, the outcome, but we can't really, not when... People can hear if we're reading a script, saying a script, or meaning it. Yeah. Well, those of us that are a little creative are like the autistic kids. We want to do it our own way anyway. So we don't always um, follow the script. It's just, if there's a guideline, and then we, move, we go from there. And so okay, that's, so what, that's you, what the script is to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, to me too. It's just sort of a jumping off point, so you're not yeah. stuck there going, I don't know how to begin. Exactly. And that's, as, as that, it's very useful. So you have something here that I really want to ask you about. It's about a labyrinth. So I'm looking in, in the part of your website that is the Unlock Your Child's Spiritual Genius. Yes. And then down here, what is the labyrinth? Oh, the labyrinth is an ancient spiritual tool. I've traced it back to ancient Egypt. And it is, people refer to it often as a maze. And actually a labyrinth is an opposite of a maze. A uh, maze is a confusing path. And every step you go, you're not sure what step to make next. And oftentimes you find yourself in front of a wall and you don't know which way to go. Whereas a labyrinth is one long path that's just twisted and turned. And if you just put one foot in front of the other, eventually it will take you to the center and take you back out to the beginning of the, of the path. It is, uh, as I mentioned, a spiritual walk. And uh, people, when you walk a labyrinth, you kind of step into it. It's referred to as the womb of God. So it's a birthing place, if you will, birthing your own spirituality, birthing your own authenticity, birthing your gifts and talents, who you are. So when you enter a labyrinth, generally you think about either a particular issue that you're dealing with or you just be open to see what might come to you. And as you walk to the center, it's said that your spirit and the spirit of God uh, unite in an even stronger way And when you get to the center, you are in the womb of the labyrinth. You stop, meditate, and pray. And then as you follow the same path walking out, it's said that your spirit spirit gets guidance about what your next steps are, either directly or it might come a week later, it might come in a dream, but in any event, it creates some changes in your life. And I am a labyrinth facilitator. I design labyrinths. I make labyrinths. And uh, for a seven-year period, I presented the labyrinth. There's a huge 30-foot by 30-foot canvas, and some of them are inlaid in stone in different places, or sometimes they're cut in grass and other ways. People can see labyrinths by going to my website, normahollis.com. Yeah, and, I'm looking at one. It also yeah. says that you have them for children in the free gifts. Is that? Um... Well, I have an article that I wrote. Ah, okay. About this, about when I first introduced it, as I was doing um, um, for seven years, I did it at the African Marketplace here in Los Angeles, and it was a seven-day event over three weekends. And I did it for the adults, but with my great passion for children, I've just got just amazed as I watched the children 
when they would see this labyrinth, and of course they're closer to the ground, and it's a huge 30 foot by 30 foot, and it's all painted in purple. So it's got these big purple colors, and they kind of go in circles. And you would see the youngest kids, the two, three, four-year-olds, and they would be tugging on their mother's and father's arm, saying that they, take me over here, I want to go over here. And when they would get to the labyrinth, they would let go, and they would just start running in circles and giggling, giggling, giggling. And it was like they were being reunited with something from another lifetime or something. And you know, it was just fascinating. It's very fascinating. It makes me think of a time when I was I was walking with my son, who was very nonverbal at the time, couldn't really say anything. It was before I found the therapy that's really helped him. And he was old. He was like 19, and we were going for a walk, and we'd left the house, and we were walking in this big circle, which is like a two-mile radius. And he kept trying to say something to me, and he kept saying it and saying it. And I was chattering on about, um, you know, how we were going to end up back at the house. And he kept saying And finally he grabbed me and put one hand on each shoulder and said, metaphor. And I realized that he was, in, you know, in reference to the conversation I'd been having, that he was saying it's a metaphor for life. And he was saying that because it absolutely matched what I had been talking about. And I was floored. I it's guess part, so. Oh, it's amazing. And it's part of why I believe in speaking um, in a more complex way, regardless of what's mm-hmm. coming back, and, and being super, super authentic and honest with kids. Mm-hmm. And it matches your, your concept of the labyrinth. It's truly not a labyrinth, but it was an idea that this physical representation of movement can often with someone who has spatial issues and who has um, you know, autism, I mean, they're just very visual. So if you can give them a visual representation of walking a path to get where you need to go, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah. And it is a metaphor. It's exactly what it is because oftentimes the way people walk the labyrinth is a metaphor for how they walk life. So when someone's in front of you and they're too slow, do you get upset or do you walk around them? So just little, little things like that gives you great insight. Yeah, it's great. You have so much on here. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I, I, what I am going to do, though, is get you to at least tell them you were saying something about oxalate, and I'd love to hear a little piece of that if you can be short. <laughs> This is a real big issue for autistic children, which I only found out about after having uh, kidney stone uh, issues, uh, much to my surprise. I didn't expect that. I had kidney stones, multiple stones in both kidneys. And what I had to do is they told me to go on a low oxalate diet. It took me about three years to make the full transition so I knew what I was doing. And as I did, I just I got more energy. You see, I, I took antibiotics as a child. And I'm a senior citizen now, and I had ear infections for 55 years in a row. Every that year. That so matches autism, I can't. Tell I know, you. I'm telling you. Every, every year I had, I had a hole in my eardrum, which I still have. I got it when I was eight. And I had ear infections, um, one or multiple, every single year. And for 40 of those years, I took antibiotics, and not knowing that antibiotics were messing up my system. And one of the things the antibiotics did was kill all the cilia in my intestines, which means that I can't move stuff through my intestines well. But one of the things I cannot move well is something called oxalates. And oxalates is a, a crystal that is on many, many foods, primarily vegetables. And you have to know which ones they are to know what to eat and not to eat. And they're put there by nature to get the bugs not to eat the, plant, the plants. 
However, as humans, it has no effect on us except when we can't digest it. So for me, the oxalates combined with calcium and created kidney stones. Now, oxalate and kidney stones is a minor piece of oxalate. What most of the oxalate research is all about is kids with autism, which I only realized after this happened. But I do remember as a child feeling that there were some similarities between my autistic cousin and myself because I've always been a little spacey, if you will. So uh, I think the oxalates contributes to that. And once I began changing my diet, I changed it initially, immediately, uh, and then I stopped having ear infections for the first time in 55 years. It took me another year to realize why I stopped the infection. And I said, oh, it's just a diet change. And I've stayed on that diet, and I've gotten even more serious on being in that diet. It keeps my weight down. It keeps my energy up. It just keeps me totally, totally healthy. So some of the things, some of the, and you can go to look, Google low oxalate diet. And I think it's lowoxalate.com. There's a bunch of recipes and, and, and a lot of information about autism. Some of the foods you want to eliminate would be carrots. Carrots are very high. Beets are the highest, one of the highest in, in oxalate. Spinach is very high in oxalate. Almonds, soy products. Um, it's easier to talk about what I do eat than what I don't eat. I eat a lot of zucchini. and Actually, they, they do say that protein is very good, different meats. And if you're eating rice, the only rice that's been tested to be healthy for, um, uh, for, high, for oxalate issues is Uncle Ben's white rice. So not brown rice, not other white rice, but Uncle Ben's white rice is the safest. And I just suggest for parents of autistic children to research low-oxalate diets. There's lots of stuff out there about it. And that's start really, making the change and see if what happens. Yeah, no, that's awesome. That's really yeah. awesome. Thank you for bringing that up because that's one of the ones I missed. I haven't, I don't know about it. So I'm, yeah, I'm, well, check I'm it out. on it. It's second we yeah. hang up. <laughs> okay. And, then, and, and there, there's lots of parents out there who have websites about it who are, who, have, who are parents of autistic children. There you go. Well, I'll check it out. I mean, there's always something you didn't, you didn't catch. So that was one I didn't catch, so I really appreciate you sharing that. Um, okay, we've got to close. Tell them about your 10 steps to authenticity, and we're out. 10 steps to authenticity, 10 ways that you can become more authentic and live a more satisfied and rewarding life. Uh, free download for, uh, per your instructions, and I'm happy to share that. So you also awesome. go to normahollis.com, N-O-R-M-A-H-O-L-L-I-S.com. All right. And you know what, guys? She's got so many free gifts on here. She's offering only one of those. She said she'd give five, but gosh darn, there's all this free stuff. She's like the giveaway artist. <laughs> so if you want 10 Steps Authenticity, email me, mom number four, evermore, mom forevermore, at Juno, that's J-U-N-O dot com, and ask for it. Put Norma Hollis in the in the subject line, and I'll get that off to you. Hey, thank you so much for being here. That was You were just able to go wherever I took you. <laughs> I'll go more whenever you're ready. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So much blessings thank to you. <laughs> All, All right. right. To you too. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was Norma Hollis, the vo- authentic voice doctor or the voice of authenticity. I don't know how she likes to be uh, referred to exactly because there's so many different variations on this, but um, authenticity is at every single every single spot, and in her voice and in her presentation as well. Lovely, lovely lady, and lots of good info for y'all. I'm looking up low-oxalate diet the second I hang up. But before we go to that, before we get there, I want to do stories from the road. 
Um, When I was talking to Veronica Drake earlier, the first guest, she mentioned that her mother was schizophrenic. Okay, so fess up time, fess up time here before I give you the story from the road. Um, When I had, I lost a boy, uh, not as in lost him in the woods, but lost him as in he died at birth. And uh, when he died, I saw some of the paperwork that was at the foot of my bed and um, I thought because they had used the word partial in there that that meant I had twins and one was still in my stomach. Okay, wishful thinking. Yes, I was avoiding reality. Yes, I was completely traumatized. Yes, I was dealing with shock. Yes. But I spent um, about, I don't know, six weeks, the next six weeks or so, really fully convinced that I had another baby in my stomach. I wouldn't let them do uh, a DNC or anything like that because I wanted to believe that there was still a child growing in my womb. And I wasn't comfortable with the whole loss of a baby at all. I was a little bit, um, shall we say, crazy. And, yeah, crazy, I don't know what you call that other than crazy. And so I was a little bit crazy. And I was talking to this little baby in my tummy, and anyway, my husband ended up taking me to the to the psychiatrist. And I went in and I explained to him, you know, there's still another baby in my tummy, which he, by the way, didn't buy. And um, and you know, he asked me some questions. And at that time, I used to think in rhyme and often talk in rhyme. If you know, if you just gave me permission, I could talk in rhyme for like I should have been a rapper. And so. Um, you know, he asked me to leave, my hour's over, and he has my husband come in and he tells him that I'm schizophrenic, so there you go, yeah, there you have it. Um, I had always wondered if my mom was schizophrenic, because she was quite, you know, erratic and and of uh, so many personality types, and you know, one minute she's lovely and the next minute she's abusive, and so I felt like it might be possible. I rejected the idea. Much, much, much later, um, if you're regular fans, you know I was eventually diagnosed uh, with um, Asperger's, and now I would say I don't have any of that, except I'm just really quirky and fun, Um, right? Okay, so the reason I'm mentioning all that is because, number one, Veronica had mentioned it, but also because I think that the whole point of this show is to bring you answers, not just to raise issues. And the question of the day really should be, I think, um, you know, how do you fix what's broken or how do you cope with no not let's go with that how do you fix what's broken and I'd have to say be self-revealing and learn to apologize so when I was a kid all the things that happened with my mom and my dad all I needed and ever wanted was for them to fess up and say yes this is my fault I made this mistake and I apologize and let's move from there I took that with me as a parent And I knew that I wouldn't be perfect. I was a bit messed up and a little wingy. But that I was going to be willing to be self-revealing, like I just was with you. Um, And I was going to be willing to apologize when I was in the wrong. And that after that, I was going to be willing to make a new plan. And those three things made the difference. I was authentic. I was believing in positive. I was seeking to find all the answers that would take us where we wanted to go. So I had the right intention. But without those three elements of being self-revealing, willing to apologize, and make a new plan, it wouldn't have made a difference. 
So I'm going to tell you a story that just happened. I was working with a family and, um, you know, a few states away, and I was working with the dad. And the dad um, is lovely, just lovely, but he targets the kids. You know, he'll walk in and he'll say, okay, why, can't, why didn't you do the dishes? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do that? And so he thinks that he's doing a wonderful job of keeping everybody in line and that the wife isn't doing uh, a wonderful job of keeping everyone in line. And, and he's really trying to you know, carry the load and, and, and get the kids to help mom and mom shouldn't have to do it all. And, and, you know, of course that's backfiring because it's making it so that it's uncomfortable when he walks in the door. And so then mom's sort of assaging the kids' feelings saying, oh, dad's coming in the door, everybody, let's get the house clean so he doesn't lose it. And so that's furthering their difficulty by, you know, making it, um, uncomfortable for them when dad comes in. And, uh, it only took the simplest of switches, the simplest thing. I said, I tell you what, why don't you do this? You've already been self-revealing. You've already admitted it. You've already apologized. But you need a new plan. So from now on, when you walk in the door, and this is great advice, so I want you guys to write this down. When you walk in the door, you don't look for what's wrong or what didn't get done. You look for what did get done. And the dad kind of sat there, and he's like, hmm. And I'm like, think about it. You've been gone to work all day. Something got done. Look for that. Pat them on the back for that. And then possibly, you know, say, oh, and by the way, those dishes. And that little tweak made such a huge difference that when we walked in the door and he immediately did that, the kids were all watching TV and normally he would have said, what's the TV doing on? But instead he took a minute to see what they were doing, which was being siblings, being together, doing an activity together. He patted them all on the back and the littlest one looked at her dad, told him the secret that she'd had from him all day long, just because when he walked in the door he had a new plan. And that was to look for what was right instead of what was wrong. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. And this is a new spin on Autism Answers. Thank you for being here, because without you, I would just be talking to myself. Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real-life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of a new spin on autism. Answers. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself, I can't hear you.